right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the We're Kicking the Podcast, where I get the privilege to talk to the legends and warriors of the martial arts world. Today, I am being joined by 7th Degree Black Belt and Black Belt in American Kenpo and world champion Tara Van Dusen. Ma'am, how are you? I'm great, thanks. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate your time. Of course. Thank you. So, just to start off, um, how was young Tara like? I know you were born in British Columbia. Yes, how was, I was. <laughs> how was young Tara like? Um, great question. I'm sure I have a different opinion than everybody else around me remembers from that time. Uh, I was young, driven, tomboy, competitive, and probably adventurous, yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. And uh, I know early age, age four, I believe you saw the Karate Kid and you're like, let's... I want to do martial arts. <laughs> Absolutely. My, um, we were watching the Karate Kid and I told my mother I wanted to do that. And she says, what, you want to do acting or you want to do martial arts? And I said, both. So she enrolled me in both. In both. And it was in the parks and recs in the basement where you found your first studio. How did that come about? How did she find that spot? Um, you know, obviously there wasn't the internet back in those days. Uh, so it was in our neighborhood. I'm sure she just asked around and a lot of Things were through Parks and Rec back in those days, especially in Canada. And uh, she was a young teen mother as well. So financially, as well as travel-wise, I don't even think we had our own vehicle at that time. So it was probably just something we could catch the bus to and go from there. The organization actually had several locations in probably all the Parks and Recs in the area. So they had like eight or nine. Oh, and uh, what, what kind of system was it? It was called Butokukan, which is uh, kind of like an offshoot if I were to explain, it, it's, a, it's a traditional Japanese Okinawan martial art and similar to Shotokan. Shotokan. And uh, who do you remember your instructor? Uh, I do, actually. I had several instructors. I was um, one of their sole females. It was actually my female doctor who was one of the only females in the entire uh, organization. She happened to be a green belt at that time. And I think she wanted my mother to do it, honestly. As I mentioned, she was a teen mom, so she was probably not even 20 yet. And... Um, Anyway, so the head instructor, uh, Joe Sherlumbus was the head instructor, and unfortunately, he made some bad choices along the years and uh, is in jail. Um, and then I had several of uh, assistant instructors that I spent most of my time with, Dean Chu, Dan Kogan, um, Harry Sherlumbus, Joe's brother, uh, Lloyd Lloyd Phillips, I believe, was another one I used to compete against his sons often. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> and and so you you did that for about two three years. Or no, anything? actually, I did that for six years. I I trained regularly, almost five days a week, because I would I eventually started traveling around to all their different locations so I could compete or or train with all their instructors. Uh, Dean Chu did a lot of acting uh, stunts as well at that time, and started competing and as a result started doing really well in forms. I was always second best in fighting. And, um, anyway, so I started competing and I, com I trained up until just before I was 11. And then my mother had some reservations about the head instructor for obvious reasons. And, um, at the same time it was very traditional. So at that point I'd know, I knew all the forms and they were no longer, I couldn't, test any further past it was kind of my version or their version of a junior black belt at that point so i moved on to a different martial art facility and um what's 
was that um, you moved on to Taekwondo or? So again, uh, similar to us, the, it was yeah. Kelly's Academy of Martial Arts. And yes, it was a Taekwondo. However, after a couple of years, I got my black belt with him and competed. He was really heavy into competition for fighting. And so that was kind of the beginning of where I started progressing from winning forms to winning sparring in sport martial arts. And uh, eventually, a gentleman by the name of Simon Posner, who still is training up there at this at this time, took over and he changed it into a more of a pancreation, pancreation, sorry, because he competed around the world in Muay Thai and Jiu Jitsu. And he too had his black belt with Kelly. So that was my first version of a traditional mixed martial art. And this was back in the early 90s. So well before the UFC was around. Yeah, I mean, it was early 90s when they started coming up 92 or somewhere around there. So when you started competing, it wasn't uh, as because people right now, when you say competing, they think fighting. But back then, it was more katas, more forms, as per se. No, there was still fighting as well. Oh. It was just, and and pads were very different back in those days as well. The thing was, was my first system was a, a traditional Okinawan karate. So consequently, I did really well in forms, deep yeah. stances. You know, kicks were not encouraged above your waist, so to speak. And I'd always compete in fighting. I just wasn't winning in fighting. Uh, there was a few competitors... <laughs> Uh, that kept beating me consistently, and that's how I chose what location to go to. I wanted to train with the best, and those were the best, and they'd always traveled down to America and fought, so hence I started training with Kelly. And that's what I was going to ask, because you're a very driven person, and I know comp- you're very competitive, so as soon as you were, I guess, coming second place and fighting, you were like, I got to get better. I have to get better. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I enjoyed the forms, but... I enjoyed fighting better. <laughs> End of the day, that was the the real reason. So you you come to the U.S. and I I think you you uh, from what I read you didn't even realize you were under Mr. Bob White's Wednesday night fights. You were under you didn't even realize it was Mr. Bob White or who he was until you later on, right? And you're in yeah. Camp. So I was training. I moved to Malibu and I was training with a gentleman named Joey Escobar who did pretty well with his uh, sport karate, as well as a gentleman named Kurt Lampson. Both of them were in Tang Sudo. So now I've kind of gone from Japanese karate for five, six years to more of a Taekwondo Korean mixed martial art for six, seven years. Then uh, Tang Sudo is more of an American Taekwondo style, right? So um, with Kurt Lampson and Joey Escobar, I was training, and it was with one of their black belts that we came and attended a few Wednesday night fight nights. So I'd uh, met Mr. White. I didn't yeah. really, um, at the time, know anything yeah. about American Kempo or even who he was himself. And how was the, because, I mean, I'm, I'm just assuming here, how was the atmosphere like going into, was it a male-dominant sport back then like more more male than females or so yeah i think from the time i was 12 i was competing uh once i received my junior black belt from 12 almost all the way through till 17 i was competing against the boys um until i moved to to america so in canada it was pretty much combined for most of the time every so often they would separate them and um absolutely there was many more males in the martial arts at that time I don't think I ever really looked at it that way. I had my few girlfriends mm-hmm. that competed against my toughest competitor to this day, Regina Thompson. I started fighting her at the age of 12 or 13. So to me, it didn't matter who was in front of me. It was all a 
a game of chess and who mm-hmm. could hit whose target fastest. Oh, yeah. And you said pads were different, so you definitely felt the, the kicks and the punches back then. <laughs> I was fortunate by the time I was a teenager, they changed to... Oh, really? Yes, yes, oh, okay. yes. So that was in my younger days, yeah. especially in the tr- uh, traditional karate. Often mm. you didn't even wear pads. We were doing knuckle push-ups on the concrete, you know, at five years oh, of age. So. <laughs> There was no Mighty Tigers classes back in those days. I think I was with the adults by the time I was eight. Yeah. (laughs) By the time you were eight, you were with the adults. It was was different back in those days, yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm pretty sure you were able to hold your own and (laughs) whatnot. And so you come to the U.S. and how how do you start? Because I know you were in various teams and, I mean, obviously a world champion. How did that come about? So... uh, I wasn't a world champion. I'd won some, many of national championships up in Canada and some internationals. I'd done pretty well in um, NBLs, I guess, maybe at 13. And then I focused on soccer and basketball throughout high school. So it was really soon after I moved to California. I started uh, after my senior year when I was going to Pepperdine. I met Colin um, as I was starting to hit just some small local tournaments kind of getting back in, having fun with it, really. That was kind of the extent of it. Uh, at that point, um, I started competing more. And I was training with Jose Pacheco and Drew Christian. And, you know, Raymond was really young at this time. Manny, I was traveling around with Manny, Harry Graham. Um, and just really having fun with a bunch of the West Coast fighters. Met Colin, and from there it kind of, that was kind of the the beginning takeoff of, my world championship level, I would say, uh, and that he kind of created and taught me about angles. That was a whole new thing for me because I was never the tallest fighter or necessarily the fast, fastest fighter, but he helped me analyze and create my own style with, with angles that, that helped out with my lead leg kicks on top of it all. And um, so my first team was full contact. Full contact. I think I met Bear when I was 12 or 13 originally, but it wasn't until after, uh, I think I was 19 when he picked me up on the team. And that's also when I got closer with Colin, who was also on the team. Oh, so um, full contact team. Um, So did you guys go on the road a lot or was it more local tournaments? We, I would say local West Coast, absolutely. And then at a Las Vegas tournament one year, that's when uh, I beat... Regina Thompson, actually, who was one of the top top fighters at the time, and uh, another top national sponsored team, CJB or Elite. I don't remember which one. They're the same club, but they called and asked me. You know, the 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 manager or the head coach was there at that event, and he wanted me to come fight with him and his team, which was also Nikki Lee Carlson and Claire Cocos at the time. And I'll be honest, Nikki Lee was the woman to beat, and so I. I kind of called up a, a competitor, competitive team, uh, Richard Plowden in SES, and said, hey, listen, love to be on your team. I want to beat this woman, and I don't think I'm going to be able to do it if I'm fighting alongside of her. So Yeah. Oh, so you, <laughs> so you switched teams just so you could... I, I didn't you know, actually. I wasn't on no, CJB. They just okay. offered me the full, the full sponsorship, yes. and then it was with that offer that I then went to Team SES. I had a lot of respect for their coach. Yeah. SES was, was Regina's uh, team, by the way. And I had a lot of co- uh, respect for their coach, Richard Plowden, who has been an amazing uh, figure in the martial arts sport karate world for decades. Um, and 
he made it happen. He picked it up. He said he'd love to have me. And that was kind of the beginning of my international or world championship experience. Wow. So you're going up against Nikki Lee or whatnot. How do you, how do you prepare for that? Because, I mean, I've I've seen you spar. I've seen some of your matches. Obviously, butterflies in the stomach, but you don't show it. So how do you mentally prepare for that yourself? That's a great question. And I think you prepare for it in your training. You know, mm -hmm. when you you prepare properly, uh, you show up. And when you're in that ring, you're just there to do a job. The nerves show up when you know you didn't prepare enough. But when you've prepared uh, enough, you've been visualizing every time you've been training your blitz, your kicks, whatever the the case may be, you're already visualizing you win in your next match or your tournament or whatever the yeah. case may be. So it also helped that I pretty much trained only with guys. For me, that was a huge mental shift because when you're training with guys who were also starting to do, you know, really well in their sport karate careers, it's a little easier standing up in front of some of these female uh, competitors, competitors. At, at least for me mentally. Yeah. And do you still remember that match to this day with Nikki Lee? You know, I do. And it was interesting because uh, at that one tournament, Richard Plowden had said that we also had to do forms. He what? never made his fighters do forms. <laughs> but for whatever reason, at this tournament, uh, we had to do forms. So I enrolled in uh, American Kempo. Because I wasn't about to start doing a freestyle form <laughs> with flips that I hadn't been training for years. Mm -hmm. So I did uh, long form four. And it was a huge American Kempo Division 2. It was a national yes. national tournament, Atlantic City, I believe. And uh, sure enough, I fought Nikki Lee right before the forms competition. Oh my but I'd already had my game plan. I already knew she was yes. taller than me. Her legs were strong. Men were scared of her, you know, sidekick axe kicks. Wow. So it was going to be a simple get off the line, you know, yes. uh, angle off the line every time and in. And so it was, it was actually a quick fight. It was probably easier for me because I knew who she was and she didn't know who I was. This was one of my first larger competitions on the East coast. The West coast mm -hmm. people knew me, but nobody really knew me on the East coast. And, um, so, so I won. Absolutely. And then I ran over, put on my traditional gi top, <laughs> did American Kempo forms. I was fortunate that I got to go at the end of the long line of lists. And there were some great names in there. Jody Sasaki, there were some great names in there. And, but because I was at the end, I was the last one to go. I think I had a little heads up. I had all this energy ramped up and I ended up winning a national title in that as well. No way. Oh, <laughs> the one time I did long form four. Yeah. That is awesome. Oh. <laughs> I mean, you had the... The adrenaline from your fight and you come and do forms. <laughs> Absolutely. Is, so yes, I do remember that fight. That, and so now you're you're the as you say the the woman to beat. Now you're the woman to beat. After that, you started participating more in tournaments, and you you obviously kept your training going because. Yeah. So yeah. by that time, I'd uh, moved down here to Long Beach, and I was training regularly with Colin, and we had this location at this point, this headquarters uh, on Bixby. So. Mike Pombero was coming down. Raymond was coming down often. We were just having lots of fight. We had all the best of the best fighters here training because we were more focused on training really than growing our business at that time, even though we had the <laughs> evening classes. Yeah. Uh, my focus at time was, was competing. So eventually, um, so yeah, I started doing really well, started winning uh, more competitions, getting a bit of a name, won a bunch of world titles in NBL, National Black Belt League. Uh, and then shortly after, though, I didn't get too much time on SES before – 
the team folded as well. The owners, the corporate owners had some tax issues. Oh. <laughs> so um, I then got picked up by Garth Bins on Team Victory, which was based out of New York. And he was the first one who started taking – he was really one of the first uh, – national teams to start taking their team regularly overseas. Uh So it wasn't too far after that. I got to go to my first Irish open, which to this day is still the biggest and the best sport karate martial art competition. Um, And yeah, I did. I, I won, I went undefeated that weekend, won my, my weight division as well as the open women's world champ grand Uh, champion. And that was the first year Raymond won it as well. Raymond Daniels. So, (laughs) We felt pretty good. Oh yeah. So walk 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 me through your Irish Open. Uh, I mean, you obviously is very different than any West Coast or East Coast tournament. It's bigger. So how how was that feeling like walking into there? I loved it. All these years, there's there were starting to be more and more leagues here in America, so the yeah. divisions were getting smaller and smaller. Which is why I always wanted to win my division because then I'd at least get to fight middleweight grands and heavy or overall grands, which would give me more fights. I really just like to fight. I think I just like to fight because I like to win. I don't know, but I really just wanted lots of fights. So traveling over there, there were 63 women in our, my open weight division. I was, I was in love. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And did it, I mean, I don't know if the rule was still in effect back then, but did it throw you off the lead leg to the, I mean, the lead hand to the body? Did it? So I do remember the rule. I remember uh, Coach Bins, you know, reminding us about the whole thing. And it didn't throw me off. Um, it, it didn't throw me off because it didn't really affect the, the my angles game at the time. Right. Uh, if they were a kicker, I was angling. If they weren't, I was, you know, going in with my kicks first, following up with my hands. Yeah. I was just in the zone that year. That was, you know, I'd had a consecutive wins around. I'd been training consistently. I was in the zone that year. Oh man, I, I mean, I stumbled upon a picture and because uh, I saw it on, on your Facebook, uh, uh, Jason Borley, Raymond Daniels, I think it was Ms. Mike Pombero, yourself, and I don't know if Jack Felton was still too young at the time, but I, I think I don't know. Yeah. He might have been there. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to remember. That was in England, actually, and um, that was another fun, fun excursion again with some of the best fighters. We that, went. That's we... why I'm going to because those fight. No. Every single one of them were the top fighters in that day. So yeah. how was that like? <laughs> that was great. We actually competed in two different competitions that weekend. Uh, and yes, one of the promoters who'd actually sponsored us to come over wasn't incredibly happy about that. But wow. I, what I remember most about that event was we had this big team finals. They were they're filming it. They were doing you know Team America versus team Europe, team England. I don't exactly remember that. It was a lot of fun, but the next day in competition, Jason Borelli threw this spinning sidekick that broke this guy's arm in a way I've never seen. He had a full U in his forearm and I just, I will never forget it to the day. That's why anytime I see people teaching how to block, you know, just by bringing their elbows in, I was like, no, no, you angle out of the way from that. That that hurts. Oh my goodness. (laughs) So, I mean, it's, what's, Sport karate already a, a a big thing while you were coming up uh, during your time, or did it just started growing as you were coming so up the ranks? So sport karate historically here in America was already big when I was growing oh, okay. up. In Canada, it was not so big. Uh, it was so we had how I got involved was we had this one competition called the Tiger Balm International. We did have a very large Vancouver is uh, you know we 
were very open in Canada for immigration. And so we had a very strong uh, Kung Fu uh, population, so to speak, in the martial arts, a lot of Chinese arts. And uh, so we had this Tiger Bomb Internationals that ended up getting sanctioned by the National Black Belt League because Boyce wanted to grow in both Mexico and Canada. And it was through that that I won a bunch of competitions and got invited to the National Black Belt League World Championships in New Orleans, wow. I think when I was 13. And so one of my producers, actually, because I did a lot of film and television, one of my producers sponsored my my mother and I to go down no and way. compete. at the. At, that was my first Super Grands ever. Oh, that is awesome. How did that go? Did you win it? Uh, you know what? I didn't. So there was, again, a lot of great yeah. competitors. There's 22 of us, and it ended up being oh, Regina Thompson, the oh, name you've heard a couple <laughs> times, and yeah. myself in the finals. Uh, she's a year old. I was 12. She was 13. Somewhere along those lines. I was 13. She was 14. Something like that. Anyways, we fought at 1 a.m. in the morning. Wait, what? It was crazy. Uh, I don't remember everything, but so it was 1 a.m. in the morning. I did win a world championships in, in continuous that, that year, though. Oh, okay. But uh, for point fighting... So I beat her the first round and I thought I won and I was cheering and uh, I'd actually asked, uh, there was another Canadian black belt there, Bill Hunter, who was from British Columbia. I'd asked him if he could coach me because I didn't have any coaches. My sponsor had paid for me and there wasn't many Canadians there. I can guarantee you that. And uh, so I won and I thought I won and they're like, oh no, it's, you have to win twice. It's best out of three, you know? So we fought again and she won and then we were in the final match and this was where I kind of, you know, not having a coach kind of messed me up. The final point, uh, I was getting her now with my kicks and yes. she smart. She's always been such a smart oh. fighter. Just kicked me to the groin. And I didn't even know the groin was oh, open because it wasn't goodness, open in Canada. Yes. But yeah, so first win went to Regina Thompson. And oh. I never forgot her name because of that. <laughs> yeah, she was your nemesis, per yes, se. Yes, nemesis, oh, good friend. Oh yes. Oh, my goodness. And I mean... Obviously, as I said, you're very driven and whatnot. How do, how do you learn how to cope and or learn from your losses? Because to a lot of people, they get they get upset, they shut down. But obviously, for you, you it kept you going and lit up that fire. You know, I think that probably stems back from something possibly even outside of the martial arts. Uh, from a young age, I think again, my mother was a teen mom, and. Um, I think a lot of people underestimated me and possibly her as well. And from from kindergarten, I remember my, she put me in French immersion. And it was either the kindergarten or the first grade teacher that told my mother I'd never be able to speak French. Oh. I mean, and it was just continuously things that came up like that. Um, you know, my when I was 12 or 13, I was diagnosed with epilepsy. My The head neurologist of North America told my mother that I'm not going to be able to do martial arts anymore. I'm not going to keep excelling in sports. I'm not going to keep doing well in school. So I think the chip on my shoulder was always to prove people wrong, yeah, if that makes that sense, especially if it was something sense. that I wanted. It was like, oh, yeah, right. watch me. <laughs> so I think that was a big uh, driving factor that when I would lose, now I had to prove it to myself. So it was about getting back up on the drawing board. What did I do wrong? How can I do it differently? Man, I like that. I like that. I mean, Chef on your show can't tell me. Watch, watch me do this. Watch me do yeah. this. So, I mean, obviously, you guys, and uh, I think you were talking about about it uh, last week in our meeting. You guys saw this place in Bixby, and or you saw 
you saw it very differently than Colin. He saw, he saw it as a great series, and you were like, you really want to buy that? <laughs> but he had another vision for it. and So, uh, yes, originally <laughs> it wasn't about buying it. There yeah. was just this... He really and wanted to be in Bixby Knowles. I didn't really know anything about Long Beach at the time. We were teaching out of two parks, yeah. and I was really just assisting him. I was still going to school, and I was I was focused myself on right. fighting. You know, I'd reinvigorated or re-energizing this goal to win some world championships, and so he found this location, and it just so happened we could afford. We'd figured out the math for how many people we felt would follow us from the parks, and we felt we could afford the rent for the downstairs sure. two spaces. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. I didn't see it uh, the same <laughs> as him whatsoever, but at the end of the day, I wanted to have a spot that we could go. Cause at the parks and recs, we could only train there during class time, but you're also yeah. teaching during class time. So this would allow us to do privates on the side. This would allow us to train on our side to say, Hey, to all these guys that we were, you know, taking road trips with to all these tournaments in Oregon and Seattle and uh, Vegas, and we could have a spot to train. And that's kind of what it, it turned into in those earlier days. Yeah. We had all kinds of small rooms. It just, I it remember. looked very different. You remember oh, that? I, I remember yeah. that. I remember. Yeah, it looked very different, but yes. Hey, look at it now. Right. Yeah. yeah it's, it's amazing. I mean, all the building and whatnot. And you know what, going back to um, when you guys were competing a lot, I do remember those days. Cause I myself started in 2001, 2002 around there. And I remember I used to help out every Saturday to clean, and Mr. Van Dusen will come in, Colin. He'll come in and say, what are you doing? I'm all like, oh, I'm just finished up cleaning. Uh, hold off to that. Come here. Uh, we just had a Dragon Rojo or Red Dragon come come in, and they want to spar. Okay, why are you telling me? <laughs> I'm just a yellow belt or an orange belt. Oh, no, no, you get some experience. Go on in there. I'm like, okay. And I'm sparring all these black belts, and I see you. I see Mr. Pombero. And I'm all like, uh, Okay, I'll, I'll just give it my best. <laughs> I look back at those days and I laugh because yeah. I think maybe every class we were sparring or we, every other class yeah. we were sparring. <laughs> and you know what? That was my favorite thing because I remember going, I hope we spar today. And sure enough, put on your pets. I was like, yes, <laughs> we're yes. sparring, we're sparring. And don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I, I like you say, everyone either likes techniques, likes forms of sparring. For me, it was just sparring. I I, I loved sparring and, and whatnot. But yeah, I mean. And it helped me out a lot because I remember in Long Beach Internationals, uh, um, his, I just forgot his name. Uh, his last name was West, and he was a pretty good guy. He was around my rank at, at the time. Anyways, we went to a tournament. I was just an orange belt, and we were we waited until nighttime. I didn't want to go, but you guys told me, just go. Just, just go participate. Okay. It was a team of three, and I was just still an orange belt. And it was my turn to compete. I'm competing. There's a brown belt in front of me. And I just remember him kicking in, kicking me in my head. And he <laughs> smiled. He gave me the, that smile like, I got you now. Something lit up. Triggered you. <laughs> it triggered me. And I was like, oh, no, 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 that's not going to happen. And I, I beat him. I ended up beating him. And it felt so good. But I, the, what I'm trying to say is what helped me is all those sparring, those higher ranks, always sparring everyone and everyone being being nice and everyone giving me pointers. So that's that's kind of what helped me. Absolutely. And I think also, if you remember, with all those sparring and our tests back in the day, and obviously we weren't able to grow. We were people that like to fight are people that were already had already had experience in the martial arts. Uh, and you have to get people there. And we kind of forgot mm -hmm. all those days because we just liked to fight. And yes. we weren't focused on our business either. So that being said... Um, we used to do a lot of two on one, three on one because we wanted every we wanted our students to know what it felt like to get hit. Yes. We wanted you to know what it felt like if you had to deal with a gang or you know a mob right. or that type of stuff. And the whole perspective or the whole point was for 
the students to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. Right. And uh, I think as a result, I mean, we have a lot of students that didn't really compete very much, but mm -hmm. they would just show up in Vegas for a competition or whatever, and they would yes. give just as good as they got. And we'd throw them right into the black belt divisions and they'd be fighting the best <laughs> of the best as uh, like you said, purple yeah. blue belts. Yeah, no, you should fight the black belts. Yeah. Jerrica Triaz, Susanna Boyd. We started yes, them all yeah. as color belts. And they did amazing. <laughs> they did amazing. All the, the one thing I will never forget from, uh, from you is, uh, we were at a tournament and, you it it was um I told the story before but we had a tournament and it was down to first and second place and you came up to me and you told me look Jose that's the son of the promoter so the judging might go it might not go your way so don't get bummed out and from there I was like oh, really okay so I get in there we bow and not and the first hit hits me right I think it was a punch to the to the body and out. I was like, oh, so you want to play this game? <laughs> and because, I, I mean, I, I I pride myself in knowing how to watch my control. But once he did that, like you said, it triggered me. I was like, okay, it's going to be that kind of game. It, it, I mean, I won, but I, I was glad that you told me that. And I'm glad he did that because if not, I would have been more cautious and not like, I got to prove my points. I got to make him clear. I have to make sure he knows I'm. You know, I'm not here to play around because I remember him. He was all, he was walking around like he was the hot stuff. He didn't have a uniform. He didn't have a belt. So I was like, oh, wow. Okay. We, uh, we got this. <laughs> yeah. I think my point probably was more not to let it emotionally bother you if the points were going to his way yes. to just fight your fight. Yeah. Uh, and to expect that the judges were going to, and there was several times, you know, I, I still remember this one tournament I went to in Oregon and I was fighting for the, the grand championship in the evening and. I just so happened to lose to somebody who I probably shouldn't have lost to. It was a debatable question. It was a debatable point at that point. Mr. Or Colin was not happy whatsoever. And <laughs> everybody else thought it was crazy. But in my mind, I lost. I shouldn't have let it get that close. And it didn't matter whether I really scored that point or not. I lost the fight because I let it get that close. But sometimes you can get off your game if you start questioning the judges early. If you're not, you know, prepared for that. What are you talking about? I, I hit him. Well, now instead of focusing on getting the next point, you're too busy focusing yeah. of just kind of like if you fight continuous or contact and you get hit and you get rocked and you start focusing on the fact that you just got hit instead of, oh, wait, I got to get my hands up and <laughs> hit them more than they're hitting me. That's, that's true because, I mean, continuous is a whole different thing. You get hit. Oh, no, you keep going. You keep going. And that, that always says, I mean, I never did continuous, but I mean, here in the studio, that's what we always used to do. Just continues. You get rocked. I remember Mr. V or yourself. Put your hands up. Keep going. Don't let that stop you. Like, okay, but I'm rocked. But okay, I'll listen. It's no wonder we had no students back in those days. <laughs> uh, I mean, for me, it was it was awesome. I mean, uh, I, I I do I appreciate those days because it helped my growth and myself and whatnot. And so now you 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 guys, I guess you you realize that you have to focus more on the business. So when did that change start transpiring from, you, you know, know, I think it transpired when I started having kids. Oh, okay. Um, because all of a sudden, you know, you start looking at things. So when, once I started having kids or once I found out I was pregnant with Kiara, uh, competition couldn't be my focus anymore. Right. Now it was, it was the studio and it was more in reflection and looking at everything that I received from the martial arts, it wasn't the world championships, although I made some great relationships. I made some great, uh, I had some awesome experiences, but what I really got out of the martial arts was, was the character development was the life skills that we still, as you know, teach and 
really pride ourselves on to this day. I know a lot of studios do now, but we started decades ago talking about it because that's something that everybody takes with them. So our goal changed from just making world championships, world world, world champions, champions, which is kind of what we were focusing on that day because uh-huh. we wanted to be and we were, yes. you know, to giving people these these life skills that will help them succeed in all areas because there's not very many people are that are going to want to take martial arts to that level, but there's a lot of people that it can help them become top students, top athletes in other sports. It did. It helped me with basketball and soccer throughout high school, and it, it can help them become great human beings. And um, henceforth, where how are we going to get more students in here so we can make a bigger difference in the world promoting the power of one? Yeah. And, and I mean, it, it surely has helped because, I mean, five locations? and Yes. Five locations? Yes. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, at this given moment, probably there's 1,500 Power of One students yeah. right now, today. Right. And, oh, my goodness, that's insane when you think about it like that. But, and I back mean, then, we had 40. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a good handful of them and whatnot. So, I mean, when when you're teaching, you're very enthusiastic. You're very, uh, your energy is very high. What, where did you, I mean, I know it, most of it is from you, but did you see anyone as you were growing up, like, oh, I want to, you know, mirror them in some way or whatnot? You know, it's interesting. I look back at, at all the different martial arts. I've had a lot of different black belts play a role in my career, and I'm so very thankful to that in so many different arts and all some great instructors, as well as some interesting characters. But that being said, I think it's the passion that you hear because I really am passionate on helping you become more successful in whatever area you want to by learning most of my world titles, most of my biggest, most important fights, I didn't win on my skills. And I I really 100% firmly believe that I won based on my mindset. And obviously there's countless books nowadays, but in looking back, I, I can see, I know the fights I lost because of my mindset, because of what I was thinking about before. I know the fights that I won solely because of my mindset over their mindset. And, um, because the heck, some of those people at the Irish Open, they're training six hours a day. My you know, they're, they're, their government's happy to buy them a townhouse. I remember that the first time I went in 2003. This Russian girl, she was like, yeah, no, if, if I win today, I get my, oh no, she was from Sweden. Yeah. My my government will buy me a townhouse. What? Oh, really? <laughs> I'll get a stamp when I come back with my passport. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah. at, at the end of the day, that passion is is or that excitement, that energy really is the passion. Yeah. And it's not just about the martial arts, although I love the martial arts. That's our vehicle. And I mean, cause, Oh, you were always one of the ones that I was like, man, uh, if once Mr. Mr. Colin and yourself, you guys gave me the opportunity. I was like, I want to mirror that somehow. Cause the energy and the enthusiasm, it's always there. I'm like, I need to mirror that. And even when I'm teaching with Mr. S, sometimes I tell her, I tell him or Eric, I'm like, Hey, you got some some Mrs. V in you. You got some Tara in you. I see it, and he's like, "What, really?" I'm like, "Yeah." When you're teaching, oh, that's, that's it, it comes out like you can see it, and it like I swear to you, like I picture you teaching. When sometimes when Eric is teaching, I'm like, "That's what Mrs. V would do." That's <laughs> awesome. That's just the the uh, the exponential growth and the whole point of opening multiple locations originally, which are now you know we've got multiple instructors that own their own business right. because now they can pass that same passion and life skills on to other people. So I'm happy that there's a little 
piece of me that's traveling through <laughs> Mr. S and oh, yeah. uh, and I know he's making a huge difference and I hear it all the time. I get the oh, emails all the time. Right. We love Mr. Jose Flores. Yeah, no, we love Mr. <laughs> Salazar. Yeah, no, that the patience with him is incredible and the way I mean the I will always whisper. Yes, the child whisper because I admire how he could control the four, five, six year olds. Uh, don't get me wrong, I love teaching those classes, but he does him and yourself, you guys do it different. It's like, wow. It's like, <laughs> you know what's really funny, Mr. Flores? And I yeah. don't know if, um, so maybe you haven't given yourself enough credit, but when Mr. Salazar first started teaching for us, he was a brown belt, 16, mm -hmm. and he was so soft-spoken. And I was just, <laughs> you know, Mr. V was, this is what he wants. Yeah. Let's get him in here. And then he's like, no, we got to let him have the class because I kept taking over. I kept, right. You know, I mean, myself or even, I think Mr. Daniels was teaching. But anyways, um because I was like, he was just so quiet. He's going to lose their attention. And because he was doing it different for me. Right. But then it didn't take long to realize that his different way was just as captivating, if not more, especially for certain ages uh, than mine. So I think sometimes we underestimate different styles. Right. So don't underestimate your own teaching ability. Oh. I hear there's you've made yeah. a big difference in a lot of people's lives. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean my my own style. I mean I, I relate a lot to the especially to the teens and some some youth now that they like the Japanese animation. So I relate. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when I tell them a name, they they look at me all shocked, like how do you know that? And I'm all and sometimes like playing around. I'm all like, boy, I knew that before you were born. <laughs> or something. <laughs> I tell them, yeah, no, you know, I, I'm I'm very interested in that. And I remember one time. You were telling us about if a student arrives late, to not put them on the spot and say permission to enter class or, or permission to enter class, ma'am. So that really played in my mind a lot. I'm like, how can I, how can I get this going? And it's funny because one day I'm like, you know what? Let me try this. And a student showed up late, and I said, I'm saying, oh, guys, if you guys ever show up late, you owe me chocolate chip cookies, freshly baked out of the <laughs> oven. Bring them in the pan because in the back they'll melt together. But buddy, hey, could you could you show me that? Permission to enter class. And that's my thing now. Like every time everybody shows up, all the students, oh, you owe Mr. Flores cookies. <laughs> and they love it. They all laugh. But the funny thing is one day a student showed up late and I didn't even see it, but he said, permission to enter class. And I said, oh, you owe me chocolate chip cookies. He goes, he reaches in his bag. He pulls out a bag. He's like, here you go. <laughs> and at the end, his mom, his mom or dad came in like, yeah, the, he, uh, he arrived late on purpose because he wanted to recharge. Oh, thank you. That's great. You. That's yeah. hilarious. I think actually that was probably something I learned. Uh, mm -hmm. I remember I have very vivid memories of uh, uh, Colin asking people for his cheeseburger if they were late. <laughs> so that's probably where that uh, yeah, originally you know started. What? That's right. That's yeah. probably what it did. And I mean, it's good to to have, all, I mean, different ways to get these kids to just smile and have fun because it's... My biggest yes. thing is I think, um, you know, I traveled, I used to take the bus myself 45 minutes to an hour to uh, the second martial arts studio I used to train in because it was in Vancouver and I was kind of in, wow. the, in the suburb area. And um, and again, my mother, single mother, she was working multiple jobs. So there were times when I was late and I didn't want, I, I, you and I both know that it's often not necessarily in the child's control when they're late. Right. Uh, parents have a lot going on. So try to create a way where they can learn the respect of other people's times and understand the importance of being on time. But at the same time, let's find a way to get them in. Yeah. And uh, I mean, they, they love that way. And uh, that way I'm not putting them in the spot and they're having fun with it. So I found that way. And I mean, it's so, 
I love the fact that there's always a challenge. Some challenge always presents itself and it's not a bad challenge. It's a good challenge where you're like, okay, I need to find a way to solve this. And it's every day, especially with the little ones. I mean, I'm like some, some of the things they say, you're like, okay, moving on. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I think, but it's the same thing, whether it's with the actual individual in their learning style or their physical abilities. That's something that I enjoy myself now is, you know, as we work with say an older larger student or that has less mobility to a younger student that has less gross motor skills or agility. It's, it's a great learning lesson that not everybody can fight or do the techniques the same way. And it's our job to find the way that works for them. That's one of the biggest things. One of my biggest pet peeves with martial arts old school is this, there's this way and then there's the highway. Right. And if you don't do it this way, then it's not right. No, that's there's nothing yeah. right about that if you open up your mind and see that each person is different. Different, and they're going to have strengths not only physically, but they're going to have strengths mentally as well. That's correct. And some of our best students have come up because they're not physically able to do something, but mentally they're strong. And some of those students, I'm like, whoa, that's insane. I mean. I my head talked to them because I'm like, man, uh, if this was the old school way, power one, they they wouldn't be here. They wouldn't. wouldn't, We wouldn't have been. We wouldn't have seen their progress, their growth. So I mean, I'm glad this change happened and whatnot. Absolutely, and it's but it's that fine line. It's trying to figure out where people's different comfort levels uh, are, so to speak. When you can start pushing, because at the end of the day, you need to push everybody, but you need to push them differently. That, That is correct. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know if you remember, but I was also kind of like mistress very shy not very talkative and i remember one time we were coming back from the super show and we got in the car and you're you're driving us back back to the to the studio here and you're like jose you talk <laughs> and i was like yes ma'am i do Why? <laughs> and i think uh i mean that that weekend also mr v found out how, or colin found out how much i could talk is i guess we bought a drink, and I'm not a big drinker, so that one hit me. <laughs> and I guess he said I was just talking up a storm. And, and look at you now, running oh. your own podcast, talking to world champions and martial art legend, legends worldwide, right? Yeah, I, and I love it. I mean, I I love doing all this. It's, it's incredible. So, um, ma'am, uh, before, I, I mean, I don't want to take much of your time, but before we go, anything you would like to say, I mean, in, about just your legacy or anything that you would like to leave behind? Wow, that's a deep question to yes. let it go with. Oh, yes. I'd like to surprise people with this one. <laughs> you know, I, I wouldn't – I don't really care about my legacy. It never really was – you know, the world titles were not for anybody else. They were for me. Um, as you know, I've got multiple different black belts. Yeah. I don't even care. I told Colin the other day. I was just like – I almost walked out of the house without my black belt. And uh, I made a joke about did I really – you know, how, how many – people would turn over in their graves if I showed up to teach without my black belt. But obviously my, my skills aren't in that. Um, I would like and love for all the positive life skills, empowerment that we have put decades into instilled in into you and just thousands and thousands of students at this point I hope to see that it continues to trickle down and that people remember the whole concept of the power of one coming together to work with people. I think right now, more than ever, we're in a time where 
so many people are pushing other people down out of fear, out of jealousy, out of their own lack of self-confidence or uh, self-esteem. And that's never been what we promote here, obviously, as you know, which is why we have no problem bringing in people that are better fighters in us or better jujitsu martial artists, why we tell our instructors to go train with other people that we know are better than us in certain areas. Right. Because the whole goal is to help each other elevate power of people coming together to form that, which is invincible, right? The power of one. So if anything, I hope that the power of one legacy that both Colin and I have worked so far, so long continues to have that ripple effect. And as I sit here in front of you right now, I feel pretty good that it will, you know, regardless of what happens with Colin and myself tomorrow, or even the name power of one, I feel pretty confident in the legacy we've left with all of you guys. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, uh, you guys have tremendously helped us out. I mean, uh, I won't speak for anyone else, but for myself, you definitely, both of you guys have helped me out, just not in my confidence, but in my growth as a person. I mean, I've, if I were to talk to young Jose right now and say, hey, you're going to be teaching it or you're going to be doing a podcast on it. What are you talking about? I hardly talk to the to my I hardly talk to my parents or make full sentences. What do you mean? So I, I appreciate. It. Thank you so much for it, man. I appreciate That's it. That's awesome. If we yeah. were not separated by this big long desk, I'd give you a hug right oh, now. <laughs> thank you, thank you so much, man. Well, everyone, uh, if you want to get a hold of Tara, she teaches over here at the headquarters location, Power One on Long Beach Boulevard, in between Bixby and Roosevelt. Uh, how else could they get a hold of you? Your website. Uh, yeah, any of the Power of One websites, but probably just Tara, T-A-R-A, at powerofonekarate.com. And again, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate it, ma'am. Thank you. Appreciate thank you. It. Thank you, Jose. Uh, Bye, everyone. You. Bye, everyone.